Uh, let's open up with a prayer before I uh, launch into my teaching today. Lord, we thank you that you uh, have given us the, your presence here today, uh, your goodness in peace that you provide, and we thank you for the Heavenly Father that we have. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and love that you extend to each of us. We thank you for this day when we can give thanks for our earthly fathers, and we recognize the provision uh, in all things that you have for us. We thank you, and today as we um, remember our fathers may be gathered together, may we celebrate in the goodness that you provide. Thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to see everyone. I realize I didn't introduce myself early on, so I should probably do that. My name's Doug Hunt, and I'm uh, teaching today. My wife, as I mentioned earlier, isn't with me. Sometimes we, we try to team teach, but today she's in Colorado with our daughter who just gave birth to her third boy. So um, we're excited about that. <laughs> so And they're all doing well. So, uh, yeah, today we're in the month of June. Um, that means in our series on faith, hope, and love, we're focusing on love and neighborly love in particular. As we have in the previous uh, teachings, um, Marianne and I, and today just me, will be focusing on love and how it's demonstrated and how we may be called to uh, love our neighbors in the triangle. So a quick review um, of what Marianne and I have shared over the last couple of months. We've, we've shared once each month. In the first teaching, was we talked about faith, and we drew insights from the principles and from the life, uh, really, the principles that were demonstrated in the life of Abraham and the faith that he showed when he call, was responded to God's call to leave his country, his people, and his household and go to the land that God would show him. And in looking at the at that uh, story, that history and the life of Abraham, we saw sort of three important principles. One, that when God calls, he provides. That when he promises something, he does. He's always giving that promise with a purpose. And that he has, uh, he's for us, both individually and communally. And that we know that in, as we walk as descendants of Abraham and walk in that heritage of faith, that we are called not only as a blessed people, but to also be a blessing. And the second teaching we did was on hope. Um, and in that teaching, we looked at uh, the story of the Hebrew people in Babylon, so the story of exile. And in that um, instance, what had been highlighted to uh, Marianne and I were just some of the uh, elements of that experience of exile. And we, we kind of touched on that exile is really a theme throughout the Bible, um, and in particular in the story of the exiles in Babylon in relation to hope, there were certain things that helped them get through that 70 years, and we thought those were instructive as well in t for us as we uh, are present in our neighborhood. And the first one of those was to be present in the community, um, look for ways to be present that promote flourishing, just as the exiles were told to do by the prophet Jeremiah, 
uh, to plan for the future by pro partnering well. And so this kind of went with Jeremiah 29.6, to increase and not decrease. And in, in the sense of partnering, we, we focused a bit there on that uh, God has shown us that there are a number of believers in the triangle and that we can partner along with them. We can come alongside because really they, um, they are the, the witness in their own neighborhood. So that was a point that was, was highlighted to us. And then the third was that we can be and are called to be peacemakers alongside our neighbors. So, um, in fact, in Jeremiah 29, 7, it says, Seek the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile and pray to the Lord that it will prosper. So we have a call to be peacemakers, to promote the prosperity of the city and to um, witness to that, pray for our neighbors, for the hope and the future that God has for them. So... Uh, in addition, there's our sort of overlaying the three, the two talks, and even today, I've also tried to kind of fold in uh, three missional questions. So um, I kind of, as I was thinking about it today, missional with a missional lens, we've looked at this, of these topics, faith, hope, and today, love. I kind of think of it as trifocals. I have my bifocals on today, which is new for me because I haven't worn them in quite some time, but trifocals, so three three lenses that we might want to use as we think about our presence in our neighborhood. First one is the lens of asking the question, where are we? So what's unique and noteworthy about our context? And we've learned some things over the past few months about this, the historical factors and socioeconomic factors that contribute to the triangle's culture. The second lens or second question is, what's God up to? So we've asked ourselves, um, we really asked God to give us eyes to see. And one of the ways he's given us new ways to see, I believe, is in identifying partnerships that we can, of, with other groups and people that we can uh, join with, partners we can join with in the neighborhood. And that would be groups like the Triangle Community Ministry, Neighborhood House, the Bayview Foundation, and, and New Culture Church. And then the third que question, the th third lens, I think, um, and a particularly important, I'll be focusing on this one a lot today, is what might God be inviting us into? And in this regard, we will think back to those first two questions and the answers that God's revealed. Um, as we think about what might be our actions, especially actions that demonstrate love uh, in, in the triangle. All right, so all that background, this is the third installment in the trilogy. Um, so hoping that we'll uh, draw some, some insights today. From, in particular, I want to focus on two passages of Scripture. If you have your Bibles or your, your phones and you want to sort of have these at the ready. I'm going to be talking a bit about Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, and also Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Both of these um, passages link obedience to God with our care for our neighbor. So we're going to be looking at that. And I'm going to start by reading Romans 12, 9 through 13. It's, it goes like this. Love must be sincere... Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another, 
above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So that phrase uh, in verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's what I'm going to focus on a bit today. So um, it's been intriguing to me. You might recall last week, Scott asked, what's love got to do with it? You might remember that. (laughs) Tina Turner. Um, I'm going to ask today, what's hospitality got to do with it? And what does it mean to practice hospitality? So first, a definition um, of that word. One of the key Greek words for hospitality is philoxenia. And it combines the Greek word for love or affection, phileo, which is where I believe Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, gets that, their name. And then the second half is the word for stranger, xenos, as in our, you often hear these days about xenophobia, which would be the fear of strangers or aliens. But xenos refers to strangers or aliens. Um, David, if that's not right, please correct me later. <laughs> so hospitality or philoxenia is showing love to strangers or aliens, which I think points to people who are outside of our familiar community. Um, so hospitality in, in its Greek, these Greek word stems that are also related to our English words hospita- hospital, hospice, and hostel. So, and I think, uh, while all three of those would refer to the extension of care, of course, in hospitals, it's for healing. Um, in hospice, it's to those who are facing death. And hostels, which tend to be about shelter. So if you're like me, when, when, um, when I re- read that verse, practice hospitality, I was thinking about entertainment or what we often hear today about the hospitality industry, which is restaurants and hotels and establishments, places where you, know, you, you kind of, if you can afford it, you can purchase those and, if, and sort of experience a bit of luxury. But that's not the biblical sense of hospitality. The other thing you might have thought of when you think of hospitality, oh, is that, oh, well, I know, it's not like the Friday night barbecue when I invite over friends and we put some brats on the grill and we gather around and we are there together and enjoy one another's company, people that I know and I know I like. Um, But in this biblical sense and in the ancient world, hospitality really carried a different meaning, far, far different than our current understanding. In fact, some researchers say that hospitality was viewed as a pillar on which all morality rested. It really encompassed the good. So how you treated aliens and strangers was was a defining trait of your community. And inhospitable treatment of strangers was a disgrace and reflected poorly on the entire community. Um, Maybe a modern equivalent phrase that we have perhaps heard is one, and I think it's attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, that says the greatness of a nation can be judged by how it treats its weakest members. And sort of that thought that your society will be judged by how you treat uh, those who are most vulnerable. So the people of ancient Israel, I think in part came to this because they understood that they were also strangers and sojourners. 
They were the exiles. They were descendants of Abraham who had uh, been called into a land that wasn't his own. So they understood what it meant to be vulnerable strangers. So the uh, yeah, so that's just a bit of the background. I was I was like, okay, well that's interesting. It's intriguing. I never really thought of hospitality in that sense of the word. And Paul wrote that to the uh, believers in Rome as a pretty strong exhortation. I think it extended not only to the people in the church, but also to those outside it. Well, I wanted to just tell you a little story. Uh, the, uh, the other thing I know about hospitality, and perhaps uh, you in the sense of care for the stranger, um, is, is that it's very cultural and di culturally distinct country to country. So some of you may know that um, right after college, I spent seven years in the Philippines. And five, five of those years, I was a single guy. Um, I actually met Marianne there. She was there from Green Bay um, with a different mission group. And the, uh, but I want to tell you a little bit about what hospitality looked like in that culture. So to, um, for me, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was... 20, what, 22, 23, I was excited. I, you know, and in my American conception and framework, you know, I was exercising my independence. I was working in a Christian organization over there with a bunch of uh, Filipinos and having, you know, this was like my dream to, to exercise my, uh, the call that I felt God had put on my heart. But in the Philippine cultural view, as a single man, um, I was somewhat vulnerable in their view because I was detached from family, community, church, and other social structures that I had known in America. So hospitality was as expressed towards me, a single man in that environment looked something like this. So my, my coworker, uh, Noel, was, uh, they, he and his family were members of a Methodist church, and so he invited me out to start attending there, which was very generous, you know, generous, and I had to take a bus to get there. And then, you know, they were like, well, why don't you join the choir, and that way you can start, you know, building some friendships with other people your age. So the choir would practice and rehearse on Saturday evenings, about, you know, 5 o'clock, or Filipino time, maybe 6, 6.30. Um, and then, you know, uh, so and in my American mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to choir practice, I'm going to get back on the bus, I'll be home by 8 o'clock, 8.30, then I can do some things on my list, like I've got supporters to write, I've got, you know, a whole slew of things that I want to accomplish, and then I'll just come back to church on Sunday morning. Well, that's not how it worked in the Philippine <laughs> culture. And what, what would happen is that, you know, Noel would say, you know, Doug, why don't you come over to our house after choir and he lived with his parents, so it was an ex extended family, he and his wife, and I think he had three kids already at that point, um, and, you know, have dinner with us. And I would, you know, and, and in, in the Philippine culture, it's not like eat and run. It's like linger, you know, enjoy your time. And so then it would get to be like 8 or 9 o'clock, and it would be like, gosh, Doug, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't take the bus home at this time of night. You know, um, why don't you just spend the night and come to church with us in the morning. And so I would be like, well, gosh, I had some things I need to do. But, I mean, I couldn't really say that. Um, and in the Filipino culture, the more you, you really have to kind of, uh, they often, like, will ask multiple times. And then that's how you know it's a sincere 
invitation. If they don't ask two or three times, then you probably, you know, you don't say yes. Anyway, so I would spend the night often, uh, my, and suddenly my choir gig would be like a whole weekend commitment. <laughs> and Sundays, this actually happened more more than once. Uh, they did. I would again get invited invited home for lunch, and sometimes they would even persuade me to spend the night, and I'd go to work with him on Monday morning. And I'd say, you know what, I didn't really bring any extra clothes, and he would give me a shirt that he could, um, you know, that we were roughly the same size. So, you know, I, I use that as a sort of an example, and I think probably the, the Lord, at one, provided that. So what happened in that transaction of hospitality they extended their networks of and families, church, neighborhood, to uh, to me, to gave me to really kind of give me a, a a landing place that was personal, comfortable, but it also provides us some security and support. I was probably naive. I didn't in that I was a 23 year old single guy. I wasn't really with a formal mission group, and I was kind of out there on my own. And I think God really provided that type of hospitality that served me well and in in that sense though it was hard for me to accept let me tell you it was hard for me to adjust my expectations the i believe that in those moments the our my christian brothers and sisters there in the philippines were really practicing the kind of hospitality that uh, is is described in romans 12:13 so quick side note joni i believe last week to, we you mentioned something about international students so Think about this, um, that when international students come to America, you probably have heard that it's rare. Most don't ever get invited into an American home. So imagine if you're from the Philippines and you come with your own cultural view of what hospitality looks like. You're 18 years old. You're in a new country, new world, new school. You maybe never traveled abroad before. How would you, as a Filipino student interpret the, the absence of an invitation of the type that communicates care and concern, like I received. And no doubt most people know about America as sort of being highly individualistic and, you know, a culture where that's maybe not the norm. But I think there's something for us to learn that is biblical about, um, about hospitality. And maybe it will include showing hospitality to internationals. So second part of my uh, thoughts today about hospitality take us to uh, Matthew 25. And uh, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 25, in, in this section of Scripture between so roughly verses 31 to 40. Jesus shares a really strong word about the judgment that's going to come at the end of all time. And he ties the judgment in this passage um, directly to mercy that's shown to strangers or especially the needy. So we often refer to this as the story of the sheep and goats, but it's also a story of how or even if we recognize Jesus in the needy around us. So um, I want to read the passage together, uh, if you have it up, uh, but I'll read it for you if you don't. So Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did, you, did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow, sobering message uh, from Jesus. Very clear link between hospitality and the sense of the biblical sense of caring for the needy around us and the uh, you know our our walk with him in righteousness so uh, the again the uh, Christ, early christian writers and i think it's we see this demonstrated in in the new testament they cite that the practice of hospitality sort of as described here which would be more of material and uh, yeah, material assistance given to people who have very specific needs was really a hallmark of the Christian uh, church. And this, in a time when transcending social and ethnic differences by you know sharing meals or sharing your home or um, was really uncharacteristic of the ancient world where. There was very distinct ethnic and tribal groups, but also where hosting others was often tied to currying favor with the powerful. So um, this was really a unique, um, a unique trait of the Christian community. So in a, and especially then in a world where it would have been safer to lock the doors and draw the curtains rather than respond to the needs of strangers, hospitality in the biblical sense, again, was seen as a demonstration of the essence of our Christian faith. So we were, by, by ministering to those needs, as Jesus describes, we are actually ministering unto him. So uh, I wanted to, you know, sort of thinking about this kind of hospitality, I wanted to get bring in a voice of someone who does this kind of work as her call, and that's Lori Horton. Um, Lori couldn't be with us today, so I asked her if she would help with, would let me sh- record a short interview on this topic of showing hospitality 
uh, it's sort of in the Matthew 25 sense. Lori works for Middleton Outreach Ministry in the video, and you may know it as Mom, M-O-M. And uh, she's going to answer just a few questions before I kind of wrap things up. Everyone, uh, good to see you, Lori. Thanks so much for spending some a few minutes with us today as we uh, talk and think a bit more about um, showing love in the neighborhood, particularly the Triangle, um, knowing that many folks in the Triangle have, uh, of course, many uh, assets, but also have some specific kinds of needs. I thought it might be helpful for us to hear from someone uh, from you who works in this field and has for many years. So I appreciate your time today. Um, could you start off by just telling us a bit about your background and how you came to work at the Middleton Outreach Ministry? Well, I, I have a little bit of a background in urban ministry um, in Chicago and a, a master's degree in psychology, um, after which I realized that I was not cut out to be a therapist, but I really like helping people with their practical issues. And um, so once my kids were old enough, I um, started looking around in Madison for a place. And that's how I came to, I did a brief, uh, a brief time at Salvation Army before coming to Middleton Outreach Ministry. And it's been more than 12 years ago now. So. And what's your position at, at? I'm a case manager, and I, I focus on um, Spanish-speaking population and also senior citizens. But I will also I also will help anybody that walks in. Okay. And do you deal with all different kinds of uh, issues? Yeah, the focus of Middleton Outreach is really on basic needs. Mm -hmm. um, it's. Uh, the mission is to bring the community together to create food and housing security through action and advocacy. I had looking at my little cheat notes there. <laughs> but um, so it's, it's food and housing security that we focus on. And if people um, ask us or, or come in with other needs, then we really try to hook them up with other places where they can get that kind of help that they need. Okay, great. So could you tell us a bit about, you know, what some of the, are some of the things you've learned over these years about helping others that might be useful to us as a church as we get to know needs or actually get to know our neighbors and may come across needs that we identify uh, in the triangle? Um, one of the most important things that I'm always learning is not to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, for someone of my personality, my friends will confirm this. I know that I'm always right. You know, that's my personality. I just assume okay. I'm always right. And so it's, it's a constant effort not to think I know the answer to someone's situation mm. because I don't Okay. To listen non-judgmentally and let the Lord open things up mm. um, and in my experience a lot when I don't know what to say or how to help someone I'll pray and just silently say oh okay Lord where do we go with this 
and let the Lord bring ideas. Mm. Um, so I can't take credit for it. Sounds like listening is a really important skill in your work. Yeah. And, and um, recognizing that um, everybody has a lot to bring. Uh, so the people that I work with are always teaching me and I'm learning from them. And uh, it's not at all a one-way street. Mm. They are, they have as much. And when they come and say, I have a situation, they have as much or more to offer in, in solving their own problem than I do. I'm just, I just come alongside with what the Lord has provided to, you know, mm-hmm. but they're the ones who are going to be in charge of resolving their own situation. I just come alongside and offer whatever help I can. Okay, interesting. Do you see that um, I, what or what differences do you see that there might be between, say, Middleton Outreach Ministry and, and our church mm-hmm. trying to make a difference or help someone with particular needs in our community? So how, do you see any differences or what might be the same? And yeah, any thoughts on that? Because of course, we're not a, 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 a just a focused on needs but as part as a church we have we want to be aware and concerned for people's needs so how what do you what are your thoughts on that well the first thing that came to mind is that um as a professional helper i have all these boundaries that ethically i'm bound to not cross like i'm i'm not allowed to become personal friends with the people i help that would be considered a unethical Mm -hmm. might somehow change the relationship and make it so that people not everybody's getting the same service so um i see that here at mom we use lots of volunteers and the volunteers have more freedom to develop outside relationships with people and so would people in the church if you um meet somebody in the course of a whatever event Mm -hmm. um friends with them in fact the idea is to draw them into the family of god right Mm -hmm. that's the whole yeah the whole thing is to love people in um so that's a big difference that uh between church work and professional helpers yeah interesting i hadn't thought of that i can definitely see that being an issue because I also work in 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 a profession that is that has to maintain those kinds of boundaries but when when you're a a church or a church member some of those go away which can be helpful Mm -hmm. yeah all right I would just one more question um can you share a story of uh, of a person that you've assisted through mom that you see sort of as a highlight of or that highlights to you maybe the individual resilience and kind of creativity or perseverance that folks bring to situations of need? And how did mom respond? Um, so a woman who sent me an email with pictures of her um, graduating from her uh, MATC class ah. and thanking me for how much I helped her. And I was like, I don't, you know, what did I even do to help you? And 
um, she's a single mom with three or four kids. She had decided she wanted to open her own business. And she went to and got a, her degree in whatever area that she wanted to do this business in. And like a year ago, she had asked if, if there was a little financial help available in getting the light. There's a bunch of licenses yeah. she has mm -hmm. to get with the state. And um, it turned out we couldn't, there was more hoops she had to jump through. She hadn't quite graduated yet at that point. And she had to do that before she could get this license. So we didn't, we didn't even do that much, you know, and over the years she's used the food pantry and the school supply program and other things here at mom. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's her determination. This is what she wants to do and she is going to do it. So working part-time, raising kids on her own and going to school, she has accomplished her goal. And we just came alongside at a few points uh, where we could offer what we could to help her meet her own goals. So. Wow, that's a great story. And so neat that she circled back to let yeah, you know yeah. that she had yeah. met some of her goals. Yeah, that's happened to me before where people have been so grateful and I feel like the help that we offered was very small. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Interesting. Sometimes a little right. bit of help right at the right time. Uh, right. And someone who, who by helping expresses a belief and confidence that a person can maybe meet their goal that they've set out. Ah, great story. All right. Well, thanks so much. I'm, I'll let you go because, but thanks Lori for your, uh, your, your input. And I expect we'll have more opportunities to, to talk about this subject in the future. My pleasure. God bless. Mm -hmm. Lori, uh, these are great, great stories. And I, she's not alone, I know, in the church. Many, many of you, uh, some of you work um, and it places where you're in a helping role or you do this as a volunteer. But I think those, yeah, it was really helpful for me to hear kind of how her, her perspective um, on, especially, and I, of course, we can't equate what she does in a nonprofit organization that's, Christian in orientation with a church, our church, necessarily. But I do think there is a few things that I just want to highlight as uh, qualities that I heard that we, I think, will serve us well as, as we show love in in the triangle. And the, the first one is, is this sense of welcome. So how do we, and I think part of hospitality is biblical hospitality is extending welcome. And I, an author I was reading who wrote a book on hospitality called Making Room says this, our contemporary situation is surprisingly similar to the early Christian context in which the practices of hospitality were developed. We, like the early church, find ourselves in a fragmented and multicultural society that yearns for relationships, identity, and meeting, and meaning. Our mobile and self-oriented society can be characterized by disturbing levels of loneliness, alienation, and estrangement. People are hungry for welcome, but, but as Christians, we may have at times lost track of the heritage and place of hospitality in meeting that. And I think that, so that's something, if I believe we are a welcoming congregation, I think there are ways that 
we will want to think about how to extend welcome even as we spend time in the triangle and, and also get to know our other neighbors around us, students, people in, who live in the Greenbush. Um, I think one of the things about welcome is that as quickly as possible, you help you move beyond an us and them and kind of scenario where pe and that sort of the line of host and guest begins to blur pretty quickly where you invite people in to uh, with us to be on the journey, the journey of, of uh, both having needs and relational needs met, but also the journey towards Jesus. He's really the center. And as we extend welcome, we um, hopefully our message is let's journey together. I'll help you, you help me. And that, I believe, was demonstrated by Jesus even as he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house and conversed with the woman at the well. So he, there was that willingness to cross boundaries and an invitation to really journey in faith. So welcome. The second would be just respect. For respect for the dignity and equal worth of every person. Um, this... Just the posture and understanding that every person is created in the image of God uh, is, will be essential as we extend hospitality to others. Um, that means that, you know, uh, as Jesus did, who ate with tax collectors and sinners, you know, he, he looked beyond social stigma, disreputable occupations, whatever else people were bringing, and he valued them. Uh, so must we. The third would be recognize Jesus in every stranger. So um, dignity, but also, as we learned in Matthew 25, ask God, as Lori did in her interactions with her uh, clients, you know, to, that God would show us where he may already be at work in the person's life, and then um, that we would be sensitive to what the guest is bringing or, to us, sort of what gifts and assets and perspectives that they bring. So it's not just one way, it's two-way, two-way conversation, two-way relationship, giving and receiving. Fourth, dignity. So hospitality should integrate, right? Respect and care. Uh, that means that we want to um, ensure that as hosts, we also come sort of to this with a, a good deal of humility. Um, one of the challenges of extending um, help to people in need is that there can be this power differential between the host and the, the person helped, and how do you, you know, create a more equitable um, human kind of, of, of relationship? Well, in large part, that may happen as hosts, you know, acknowledge their own needs and look to our guests to help meet them. And then finally, this understanding and acceptance. So in the, in, in the book that I was reading about hospitality, one of the big things that they highlighted was that in the, in the biblical stories and even in our own experience, it's often sent, food is a very important part of extending hospitality. And we do that pretty well here, I think. Um, and we haven't been able to due to COVID for some time. But I do think that the, um, often it's, it's that breaking of bread with one another that, that actually breaks down barriers. And so how, and Anne communicates um, understanding and acceptance. So I just want to, that's what I wanted to share today. I don't think um, 
there are lots of things to consider when you you know about hospitality and as a church as we uh, show love to people in the triangle you know limits how do you handle you know when is enough helping enough when is it too much what do we do about limited resources etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm not going to go into that those are all things the lord can help us uh work out in the future. So I'll, I'll just leave you with a few questions about, and I'm kind of jumping back to that third missional question, what might God be inviting us into? Might God be inviting us as a church to reconnect with some of these ancient practices of hospitality? And can we envision, for example, places where this welcome can be extended? With regard to our building, both the one we have now and the one we have in the future, what, what are some characteristics of, the hos- of a hospitable space that we'll want to c- include? Um, how will we practice hospitality in the Romans 12 sense of relational, sacrificial, um, ongoing practice of building relationship? Um, and then there also will be, no doubt, some of those Matthew 25 um, opportunities, and we've already done some of those, to, sh- to meet immediate needs, like we sewed masks in the early days of the pandemic, and we've done food drives and personal essential drives, and some of those are are really important and helpful. So we'll have to probably be invited into more opportunities of both that are long, relational, and those maybe that are more intermittent. So I'll close with a quote here from Christine Pohl. A life of hospitality begins in worship with a recognition of God's grace and generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty and responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. While we see Christ in strangers and guests, hospitality also allows us to act as Jesus to those guests, so that at the end of all of our hospitable activity, we can ask two questions. Did we see Christ in them, and did they see Christ in us? So, As our church moves forward in the practice of hospitality, I just uh, want to offer a prayer uh, for us, for wisdom that in all things God might be glorified. So if you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your example of hospitable care, care that crossed boundaries and met needs physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, often through relationship, sometimes through a touch or a word. Um, but Lord, we, we desire to be your hands and feet in our community. We desire to have your eyes to see what you're already up to, um, um, and that though we may feel we're limited in resources, Lord, that uh, we t- will trust in you to provide what's needed in all things. So we uh, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to reflect upon uh, the love you're calling us to, and thank you for this body of believers I know whose heart is uh, to, d- to get it right and to do well and to see the flourishing of our neighbors. So we thank you again in your name. Uh, Amen.